When I was a junior in college, I heard of a terrible thing that happened out west. A college student in Wyoming named Matthew Shepard was tortured and killed and left to die. It was so disturbing and terrifying to anyone who heard it, particularly to the LGBT community. And at Matthew Shepard's funeral, people actually showed up picketing the funeral so that everyone there would know just where they thought Matthew would spend eternity. And I remember seeing the news coverage of this and seeing these people with signs and, and just hate in their eyes and flames on their signs. And it just really kind of shook me to the core. I was a Christian. I was just kind of beginning this journey of walking with Jesus. And here I see other people who are saying they're Christians doing this terrible thing at this funeral. And I couldn't help but think about what the family must be feeling in those moments, you know. Uh, what his friends must be feeling in those moments and what they must be thinking. And I'm sure the last thing on their mind was, oh man, who, I wonder who Jesus is. I'd like to learn more about him. You know, so it kind of shook me. And, and I remember coming to God and just uh, saying to him, just remind me that you're not like this, God. Remind me that you love everyone. Remind me about who the real Jesus is. And that prayer with God has kind of stuck with me, and I find myself saying it even to this day sometimes. Because many times, to get to the real Jesus, we have to be adept at seeing Him through the fog of how His followers act. To get to the real Jesus, we need to kind of peel back the layers of the church and of what Christians have done and what Christians have said to really get to the core of who He is and the truth of who He is. So I want to tell you today that there is hope. I want to tell you today that the real Jesus is out there, and he's not picketing the funerals of gay men, he's not schmoozing up to politicians, and he's certainly not standing on a soapbox berating people around him. Because today we're in the book of James again, searching for the real Jesus, and James is going to take us there through a teaching that reminds us once again of how we are to live. So if you're on a quest, like me, to find the real Jesus, Let's dive into James chapter 4 and find him there. So last week, James said, don't your desires war within you? And we talked about how James was teaching that our own desires kind of battle within us. And that stuff bubbles up in how we treat other people and the things that we say and do in this world. And that when we haven't dealt with our own issues, it gets easier and easier to blame other people for, for some of our own problems. It gets easier and easier to hurt other people and make ourselves feel a little bit better or get the spotlight off of ourselves for a bit. But James is going to show us that entering into judgment, that, that, begin, that when we, we take those desires that war within us and that internal battle and it bubbles up and we slander or hurt other people, that, that only leads to one end, and it isn't good. So look at James 4, chapter 11, 1 to, uh, I'm sorry, James chapter 4, verse 11, 1 to 12 with me. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? So what James does here is he appeals to three different authorities in these verses. He appeals to family, he appeals to the law, and he appeals to God himself. And now, if you're a first century Jew, 
There are no other appeals to make. This is like the trifecta of Jewish authority symbols, right? You're uh, loving your neighbor, um, the law, and God himself, or loving your family. So he starts with family. He says, do not slander your brother or sisters. And it isn't perfectly obvious in most of your translations, but James actually uses the word for brothers and sisters three times in the first sentence in the Greek. So literally it would read like this, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges their brother or sister. And remember in Jewish literature, numbers matter. And the number three is a symbol of perfection. So when something is re- repeated three times, that author is highlighting it in a, in a, from a literary standpoint. He's reminding his readers that this thing is important. So James here uses the word for brothers and sisters three times to remind them that slander is, is bad in general, but slander against each other when followers of Jesus do it against one another, that's against family, and that's, that's pretty heinous. So speaking evil against someone else, this was a serious problem to James's readers. And remember last, year we ta- or last week we talked about uh, that, that James was writing this in the, in the beginning of the church. So there was this persecution that arose in Jerusalem, and the, the Christians scattered out uh, to the surrounding regions and, and towns. So the people that James was writing to were under tremendous pressure. They feared losing their jobs, their families. In some cases, they were arrested, and in some cases, they even lost their lives because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were on a rampage against the Christians at this point. So take that context and ask yourself, why would James be highlighting slander in the midst of persecution? It seems like he'd be better off encouraging them in their faith, spurring them on, saying, you can do it, right? Be strong, right? Well, there's two things to think about. Um, that, he, that he's doing here. I mean, encouraging someone in their faith doesn't just mean saying, you got this, right? It means reminding them of what their faith is all about. And pr- a pretty important point of the Christian faith is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't do that if you're actively slandering someone else. But secondly, history has shown right up to this very day that persecution actually makes the church stronger. That when you find persecution, the church grows. You'll see sweeping movements of church growth kind of underground in places where there's persecution in the world today, and the same was true then. It was persecution that caused the church to scatter, and then in that scattering caused the gospel to go out and radiate out from Jerusalem in a way that maybe wouldn't have happened had there not been that persecution. And so, as you might imagine, in a situation of persecution, people make some very difficult decisions. Uh, it's the, the father who uh, lost his business and decided to take his family to a new town to set up shop and start a new business, right? It's the mother uh, who maybe her husband was arrested or even killed who takes the family and runs to a, a new town to kind of start over under the radar of those who are after her husband, right? And when that happens, the people in the new town maybe don't always treat those people as well as they should. The people in the new town start, start gossiping and start saying things like, well, well, why is she coming here and starting that business? Why is he coming here with his family and taking up our valuable resources? Or, or, or you know, they start to kind of tear down at people and the whispers increase. And you can almost hear the gossip of like, you know, I'm still here. I stayed strong. You know, I didn't run when I was under persecution, right? But that's what we do. We find any way under the sun to judge and criticize other people. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel superior. It makes us feel justified in the decisions that we have made in our own life circumstances, right? 
And here James is appealing to family, saying, look, family doesn't act like this, though. Family doesn't treat one another like this. Family doesn't judge. Family welcomes you when you're in trouble. You know, when you've lost everything, family says, hey, come stay with us. They bring in and they pull those reins tight when there's these kinds of difficulties happening in one another's lives. When I was in college, I worked with my brother doing trim work and construction. And my brother had been at the company for a while, and he was a great carpenter and had a good reputation there. And he got me a job working for him, uh, and uh, he expected me to make $11 an hour. In those days, for me, a college kid, that was good money. So I signed up and jumped on, and I was working. Uh, because things weren't super organized, I was working before I had even talked to the boss or even heard exactly how much I was going to make. And when my first paycheck came in, I only got $7 an hour. Now, in those days, that wasn't too bad, but it wasn't the promised $11 an hour that I expected. I told my brother, and he was furious. And I heard, overheard him talking to the boss one day. We were building this big house, and he was a few rooms away. And I heard him uh, talking to him. And he, his, his voice got kind of high, and he, and, and he got kind of intense with the boss. And I remember him uh, basically yelling, you know, he said, look, my brother's not an idiot, right? Uh, he's shown you he can do this work. He deserves to make 11 bucks an hour like everyone else. And man, I just like swelled with pride. I was like, tell him, Robbie, yeah, you know. And uh, that's what family does for each other. My brother was ticked because he felt like I'd been wronged, right? Like I'd been mistreated or, or treated unfairly. And he went to bat for me, right? And after that conversation, uh, I'll tell you, uh, like any decent big brother would, my brother came to me and, and he said, well, I talked to the boss and you're going to get your money. He said, don't screw it up, right? Because <laughs> that's what family does. So James appeals to our sense of family with one another for why we shouldn't speak evil against each other. And then he appeals to the law. And now the law is a little tricky for us, but just to recap, it encompasses everything that was handed down to Moses as they had crossed the Red Sea, they're in the desert, and they're ready to go into the promised land. And God says, look, this is how you're supposed to live. You're going into the promised land. You're going to be surrounded by uh, these polytheistic nations. Monotheism was a new thing in those days. And he said, this is how you're going to live so that you'll be like a city on a hill. You're going to treat the foreigners among you well. That's going to be new. No one does that, right? Foreigners are treated terribly. All these different things are going to happen, and it's going to be winsome. People are going to want to come and be a part of our community. And then when Jesus comes along, the Pharisees ask him, well, sum up the law. And he says, all the law and prophets can be summarized like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when James mentions the law, he's encompassing all of that. And really, Jesus' vision of, of how we are supposed to live in this world wasn't that much different from the Torah, from the law that was given to Moses. We're supposed to live in such a way that's winsome to those around us. So James here, Jesus' little brother, speaks about the law, and he's, he's bringing all of that in. And he says, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So in other words, the law that God gave and the summation of that law that Jesus taught is meant to be obeyed and lived out for the distinct purpose of the world uh, to, to see that, to see the way that we live and that it's different, it's winsome. And loving God and loving your neighbor is the basis on which we share the gospel with people, the good news about who Jesus is with the world, right? This is central to everything we do as followers of Jesus. So if we're not following that law, we have a hard time saying we're following Jesus. 
And James is all about being, uh, faith being proven in the way that we live, right? So faith isn't just a private, personal kind of endeavor. It's a very public endeavor. So in other words, if your private faith matters, means anything, it's going to show in the way you live your life. The way you live your life betrays where your heart is. So if we come back to this idea of slander and speaking against another person, specifically another Christian, how can we, have, how can we claim to have faith in Jesus while at the same time disobeying the one law that He gave us, which is love God and love each other as yourselves, right? Because when we speak poorly of someone else, we become judges of what Jesus taught. So the, the, the law of love is something we're supposed to be subject to, not something we are to sit in judgment over, James says. And when we do that slander thing and start speaking evil of other people, we sit in judgment and say, the law is not enough. I'm going to add to it and take this guy out, right? And James says, no, that's not how this worked, right? So, so we mentioned in the beginning of this study that, that James is he's probably like reading Matthew or thinking of the Sermon on the Mount as he's reading it. And where was he in Matthew when he wrote this? I don't know, but he's, he's saying some things very similarly to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, uh, these are familiar words to you probably, do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And I've always loved this verse, uh, mostly because of just the visual. And if you look into the Greek of that word for plank, a better uh, interpretation of that is more like giant board. Uh, some some uh, Bibles will translate that as girder. So you can imagine this huge girder sticking out of your eyes, and then you're at the end of it with tweezers trying to help somebody. And the point is, look, if you're, if you're judging you can't help somebody. If you're slandering, you can't help somebody, okay? But it's interesting because James uses this term slander, which goes a step further than what Jesus was talking about with judgment. Slander was understood as speaking against someone who wasn't there to defend themselves. And it's, it's a little closer maybe to gossip than, than uh, just pure kind of judgment or being judgmental. And the rabbis in Jesus' day, it was kind of cool, they called slander the third tongue because uh, they said slander uh, hurts the person speaking, it hurts the speaker, it hurts the spoken to, and it hurts the spoken of. And I think they were on to something with that. So the third argument, James has appealed to family. James has appealed to the law. And the third of this trifecta for his largely Jewish audience in the early part of the 40s AD was that he appeals to God himself. So in verse 12, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So he compares us to God and says, you've got nothing to stand on here. This like solid reminder that slander, slandering others only puts you, um, not only puts you over the law, but you insert yourself into the position of God himself the only one able to save and destroy. And we don't have that kind of power. So he says, who are you to judge? But there's a subtle but important difference here between uh, making a judgment and being judgmental. The Bible teaches all over the place that it's okay to challenge someone to make a change in their life. If someone's running headlong for a cliff, it's okay to jump in front and try to slow them down and stop them. If someone is an alcoholic, it's okay and important to make an intervention and try to call them out of that. If someone's... Uh, you know, being unfaithful in their marriage, it's important to confront that person, right, and call them back to a place of, of faithfulness, right? So uh, using good judgment is different than being judgmental. 
uh, if done well, we can actually help people when we use good judgment. But James, when he says, uh, who are you to judge, isn't talking about that kind of judgment that, that's more like discernment that helps us to understand what's going on in someone's life and be a help to them. Uh, he's talking about uh, becoming judgmental. That's when we uh, begin to approach someone without having all the facts. That's when we start to judge and condemn someone uh, rather than doing this in a constructive way to try to restore that person. So that's it. He appeals to family, he appeals to the law, and he appeals to God himself to say, look, do not slander each other. This is a serious, serious offense in, in, the, in the church. And I'll be honest with you, I don't love this message. Like, I don't love teaching messages like this. I'd much rather teach a message about how we're all loved and accepted by Jesus. I'd much rather teach a message about how awesome the gospel is and, and how, um, you know, we should, how sharing it with other people is just like this amazing thing or about the value of every person creating God's image. Those are the sermons that are easy for me to preach. But this sermon is necessary. If we're going to live out the gospel, we have to figure out how to treat one another well. We have to see each other as true family. We have to see the seriousness of speaking against someone else. And we have to really believe and live like God is the only one capable of making judgment anyway. So let's leave that to Him and seek to live in harmony with each other. And at the end of the day, living like that is winsome. Living like that is what will draw other people to Jesus. Uh, not, not, not the one being touted by people doing awful things, but the real Jesus that we're talking about today that we want to draw people to. So I'll encourage you like this here at the end. The real Jesus is here. The real Jesus loves you like family and fights for you like an older brother. The real Jesus simplified the law and said, look, love God and love people. That's it. And the real Jesus is the only one who knows the true motivations of the hearts of, of, of people anyway. So let's leave judgment up to him. Let's let him figure that out for us. Let's just love and, 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 and uh, be in community with people without slandering, without hurting them. And now all of a sudden I like this sermon better. It's not about rote rule following. It's about how to live out the gospel. And that's at the heart of what the book of James is about in the first place. And the real Jesus is found in living like Him as much as it is found in the searching for Him. If you're genuinely seeking Him every day, then your life's going to begin to match His. Then you'll, you'll find yourself holding your tongue more often. You'll find yourself speaking life rather than slander and death and following the law of love and leaving the judgment to God. So I hope we can walk together in that way today. I want to leave you with a prayer. I just want to lift you up and uh, do kind of a benediction is what we call it, where you're just kind of sent out. When we're meeting together in person, this is my favorite part of, of the service together, is like the sending out, uh, because that's the point of drawing near to like this anyway, is that we can be sent out into the world to live like this and draw people to Jesus. So would you pray with me? As you stand up from the couch, as you take that last sip of coffee this morning, as you open the door and walk out into the world, may you walk in this way that brings life. May you speak life to people. May you meet and know the real Jesus through living like Him. May the motivations of your heart be pure so that the actions and, and the things you speak would also follow suit and be pure. And in that, may you find the real Jesus. And may you find fulfillment. And may you find that life and life more abundantly that He has promised. 
We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.